0: And then you guys grab a seat. I love that song. Uh, and in case you are wondering what kind of church you walked into this evening, we are a community of people who believe that hope is alive. We are a community of people that believe that hope is living and that hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And that means it doesn't matter what your week looks like this week, you are welcome here. And we say proudly every week that we are a bunch of imperfect people all pursuing a perfect God because although Jesus went to the cross, he didn't stay dead. He's back from the dead and he's ready to save and he is ready to heal. In fact, for week two of Modern Jesus, I thought it would be good to, um, to lay out the story of Jesus and show us how Jesus is the Savior. Show us how the entire story of Scripture points to Jesus as Savior. So if it's okay with you, I thought it would be good just to take a little a little walk from Genesis to Revelation and show how this entire book points to Jesus as the Savior. And so 10 hours from now, you're gonna have a great, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We're gonna go fast. Of course, we're gonna go from a high altitude. Um, And uh, the idea is not to understand all the details. The idea is to brag about Jesus and brag about the one who came to save. So if you will, to start this off, go to John chapter 12 with me, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 12 is a story uh, uh, about a few days before the song we just sang about, a few days before the the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. And he comes into town Riding on a donkey, you've probably heard this story before. Let's read together John chapter 12 and verse 12. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival. If you write in your your Bible, is underlined the word festival. Come back to that in a sec. So a bunch of people are in town for a festival, and they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus had just raised a guy named Lazarus from the dead, so words kind of getting around that He's coming, and so they take palm branches, palm branches. We think of palm branches, we hear palm branches, we think of the beach, we think of in and out <laughs> Palm branches in the first century, is that just me? Palm branches in the first century uh, represented victory, triumph, and peace. So they grabbed their palm branches and they ran out to go meet Jesus as he comes in. And they shout something very interesting. They shout the word Hosanna. Hosanna, a Hebrew word that means God save us. Which means save us, save us, save us. So Jesus is riding into town and a bunch of people have palm branches laid out and they're yelling save us. Goes on to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Because 500 years earlier, this prophet named Zechariah in 9-9 had prophesied. He said, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. When you see the king riding into town on a donkey, get your palm branches ready because it's time to celebrate victory. See, Jesus uh, knew what he was doing here. And and you'll see that by the end of of this sermon. Jesus. Jesus was fulfilling, some scholars think, over 300 prophecies throughout the course of his life. And he rides into town victoriously and yet in humility. And everybody is shouting, save us. And that is the type of thing that gets a guy killed. And that's exactly what happens. But what's interesting is is verse 16, John admits something. He says, hey, uh, at first, when this was all happening, we, we didn't understand what was going on. So old man John is humble enough to be like, hey, when it was happening, I didn't, I didn't really understand. What, what was going on. It was only after Jesus was glorified that they realized these things uh, that had been written about him and, and that these things had, had been done to him. And so what I want to do tonight is help us put the puzzle pieces together because if the disciples are humble enough to admit, hey, I don't quite see how the whole story works, how it all fits together, then I, I think we can do the same thing. And, and I just thought it would be fun if we take an evening out of our busy lives to take a journey all of scripture and and just like the disciples started to find out later on like hey look what jesus was actually doing this crazy rabbi was actually saving us all along i want to show you how it all points to, to scripture so father god would you be with us today as we take this journey together or would you be here in this moment would you help us see that you are in fact the savior and that you have come to save, and that you are really good at saving. Would that reality sink into our hearts a little bit more today? We all pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We ready? In the beginning. God. I <laughs> just went straight through it. How long do you think I could go before everybody starts walking out? No, so our, our story um, begins in a state of shalom. Shalom, peace. It's Adam and Eve in a garden at complete peace peace with each other, at complete peace with creation, and of course, at complete peace with their creator, with God. It's this beautiful picture of, of them being naked and unashamed. Life is good. There's only one rule that they have to follow, one tree that they're not supposed to eat from. Now, you philosophers in the room are going, wait a second, if God was so good, why would he even put the tree in the garden to begin with? It's a good question. It's a good question, but, but don't miss the forest for the tree tonight. I'm 0 for 3 on that joke. I thought for sure the 7 o'clock would work. <laughs> you guys, I wrote that joke on Friday uh, at the coffee shop, and I had my headphones on, and I, I, I thought of it, and I like, audibly laughed. I LOL'd, if you will, <laughs> to the point where like, everybody was looking at me like, what, what is that guy doing? Don't miss the forest for the the tree. The bigger picture going on here is that everything was working out really, really well while we let God define right and wrong. While we let God define good and evil. But then humans came on the scene and and said, you know what, I, I think we want to make these decisions for Ourself, and so they eat of of the fruit, and, and um, what happens in that moment is they become so aware um, of their own shame. Like shame enters the the picture, and they hear God walking in the coolness of, of the garden, or in the garden in the coolness of the day, and they run away and they hide. Right? Adam runs down the hill and he's hiding behind the trees. They start sewing fig leaves together, trying to to cover themselves up because in that moment. What shame does? And tell me if you can relate to this. Uh, uh, shame takes what is already enough and makes us feel like we're not enough anymore. And so we have to to hide ourselves from the world. Welcome to the human experience. This is what we do. This is what I do. Like anybody ever feel like life is like one big tryout, one big audition? And you wake up and you walk out into the world and it's like 7.7 billion other people have their clipboards and they're just watching you, right, waiting for you to like, to like mess up and so they can be like, ha, I knew Ryan was a fraud, right? Is that just me? Like this, this is a, a very common thing for me. And, and so what, what happens for me, um, if I can just be real, since we're walking through the whole Bible together, I might as well be, be real. What happens for me is I go, well, maybe if they can just think I'm smart enough. They can just think I'm spiritual enough. They can just think I'm funny enough. They can just think I'm, I'm compassionate uh, enough. If They can just think if, like, if I can have a, a good enough job or have this amount of money or whatever it is, if I can just have enough things, then people won't see the real me. It's called shame, and it's called sewing fig leaves together to hide from God. It's the human experience, and it's exhausting. This is our, our lives. And then we've done ourselves this, this crazy favor where we've then created a new version, a virtual version of ourselves on on uh, social media. And so it's like not only do we have to run a thousand miles per hour trying to convince everybody that we're okay in the natural, then we have to get on on Instagram and on Facebook and on, on Twitter and be like, okay, am I am I funny enough on here? Am I attractive enough on here? Is my is my platform growing enough on here? And it's like, is it any wonder why we're all so tired all the time? Enter Jesus. 2,000 years ago, the Savior of the world steps on the scene and says, Hey, is anybody tired yet? You worn out? Like soul-type tired? Anybody need rest for your soul? Come on. Come to me. Come to me. Let me show you a better way to do this. Jesus, in that moment, is going, Hey, let me take that shame that you carry around, that forces you to try to put on this great charade and convince everybody or somebody you're not. Let me take that on my shoulders because you are who you are and you're beautiful just the way you are. Is that a Bruno Mars song I almost just started singing? Oh my gosh, 7 o'clock. You never know what's going to happen. You might be thinking, Ryan, what are you talking about? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joys set before him, he endured the cross. Get this next phrase, scorning its shame. Experiencing the shame of the cross. It's a bit hard for us to wrap our mind around in 2019 because we uh, see the cross and we think about the new necklace and the new bracelet that that we're going to get. But the, the cross was a Roman torture device. It was meant to not just kill somebody. It was meant to humiliate them. Like there's easier ways to do that if that's all that they were trying to accomplish they're trying to humiliate Jesus by letting him hang on a a cross and the writer of Hebrews is going hey don't forget Jesus took all of that shame that you and I have felt that humans have felt since the garden and he put it on his shoulders he hung on the cross and he said hey I'm the savior let me save you from your shame it's really really good news And by the way, this is all over the Gospels. Go read them this week. Go read them this week and look at how Jesus treated people. Like Matthew chapter 9. He walks up to to Matthew, a tax collector. Right? Tax collectors were hated, ignored. They were traitors. Everybody pushed them off to the side except Jesus. Jesus walks right up to Matthew and he goes, hey, follow me. I want to help you get your life back. And you, you got to think in that moment, Matthew's like, oh, you must not know who I am. And Jesus is like, no, yes, I do. Oh, no, well, I'm I'm a traitor. No, uh, Imago Dei is what I see. Image of God is what I see when I look at you. So let's go do this thing together. Okay, well, what should we do? How about we go eat some food? <laughs> right? This was Jesus' move. He did this all the time. And in the first century, sitting down to eat a meal with somebody was was had way more significance than it than it does today. A meal for us is like fast food on the way to our next meeting, right? But but in, in those days, sitting down to have a meal meant, hey, you and me, we're good. You and me, let's forget about the past. We're good. We're in this present moment and we're experiencing this together. In fact when you read the story you'll see that there's a, a bunch of religious leaders watching the scene going, Jesus, you you can't you can't eat with Matthew don't you know who he is and I picture Matthew in that moment like like looking and enjoying this moment with Jesus and yet looking over his shoulder and hearing all all the people in the crowd that are that are making fun of him and yet Jesus is just like sitting across the table eyes locked like hey don't worry about them don't worry about them I'll take care of that. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Just stay here. Stay in this moment. It's what Jesus did, right? He he took our shame for us and he gave us dignity in its place. Zacchaeus in in Luke 19, same exact thing, right? What should we do? Let's go to your place. Let's go eat some food, right? Uh, uh, The man with leprosy in Matthew chapter 8. Leprosy was a, a is a, a terrible disease, and, and in those days, the people who had it were thought to be unclean. So you don't touch somebody who has leprosy. What does Jesus do? In Matthew eight, goes up and gives him a big old hug. Because the only thing more shameful than having leprosy is touching somebody that has leprosy. And Jesus is going, hey, hey, we're going to heal this disease, of course, but more than that, we're going to he- restore your dignity, we're going to restore your humanity because you are a child made in the image of God. Let me take that shame. Let me take that shame because the Savior of the world is really good at saving. And within three chapters of the Bible, we see a need for the Savior to come and save us from shame. we got to speed way up. We're only three chapters in. Let's keep going. Okay, the story unravels very, very quickly from here. Humans decide they want to try to do this thing on their own. And uh, do you remember back in, like, second grade? Do we have any elementary school teachers here? Back in, like, second grade, um, when the teacher would leave the room <laughs> for, like, 30 seconds. Because you're, I'd be, like, sitting there doing my work. The teacher would walk out, and you, like, look over at your buddy. Like, I think, I think we're unsupervised. You know? <laughs> and then you, like, crumple up one piece of paper and, like, chuck it at him. And then they, like, catch on to it, and then they throw one back, and then you throw more. And then, like, before you know it, it's like World War III has broken out in this classroom. The teacher comes back after 30 seconds, and there's, like, kids standing up dancing on the tables, and it's Lord of the Flies, and she's like, what happened? Like, like what, what is, in the world is going on? That's kind of what happens in Scripture. Um, as soon as humans decide, hey, we, we can do this on our own, things just unravel real, real quick. In fact, um <clears throat> It doesn't take long for all of God's people to find themselves living as slaves in Egypt. For 400 years, they're slaves, forced to build bricks, brick by brick by brick, so that a man who thought he was a god could have some more statues of himself. And you know how this goes. For the first few generations, there was probably some fight in God's people Brick by brick, generation by generation, slowly, slavery just became their new identity. Well, this is our lot in life. At least it'll put food uh, on the table. So let's just be slaves, except that God's plan for his children has never been Slavery, And so God um, raises up a, a murderer on the run who's insecure about his ability to communicate and goes, Moses, you, let's go. And he takes his people out of slavery and he brings them into freedom. You can read all about it in Exodus 1 through 20 this week. But the, the, final, the final way that he does that is, is by passing over the Israelites' home, one, one terrible night, when, it, when a plague comes through, it passes over all of the homes that have the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Passes over, and, and God's people are allowed to, to exit slavery and step into learning what it means to be free. Why am I telling you all this? Because 1,500 years later, this guy named Jesus comes on the scene, and, and when John the Baptist sees him, the first thing he says in John 1, verse 29, it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 1,500 years earlier, how were they saved out of slavery and into freedom? By the by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus comes walking into, or comes, comes into town, and John the Baptist goes... I, That's the Lamb of God. That's the Lamb of God. And then, remember how I had you underline the word festival in John chapter 12? Everybody's gathered together in Jerusalem. Do you know what they're celebrating? Passover. They've come together every year since that moment where God took them out of slavery so that they could could come together and go, Hey, um, God, thank you so much for taking us out of Egypt. Now we need you to continue to save us from Slavery. And so all of God's people are gathered together to remember that day, and Jesus comes riding into town going, Hey, uh, I'm actually the thing that that you've been waiting for. Uh, I'm actually the one that is here to save. I'm the Savior, and I'm ready to take you out of slavery and teach you how to be sons and daughters. Can I tell you uh, how many people I know? How many stories I've heard? In fact, we could. I'm looking around the room right now. We could pass the mic around this room, and people could tell you story after story after story that start with, hey, I was living in bondage. I was living in slavery, and then Jesus entered my life, and nothing has ever been the same. In fact, you know why just saying the word Jesus is such a powerful thing? Have you ever noticed that? There's power in just saying the name Jesus. Well, it's because Jesus... Is the the name Yeshua, Yeshua, is the, the Hebrew name, and that means God saves, Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. So when we say the name Jesus, when we pray in the name of Jesus, what we are collectively saying is we don't have a God who's far off somewhere and doesn't care about us. We don't have a God who, who is a slave worker driving us, just telling us to behave so he can feel better about himself. We have a God who came to save us. We have a God who is here with us ready to rescue, ready to redeem, ready to teach us how to go from being slaves to being sons and daughters, Yeshua is here to save because saving is what the Savior does best. And I'm telling you, every story in this book points to this truth. Let's keep going. We'll do a few more. From there, uh, uh, the Israelites are, are wandering in the wilderness trying to figure out uh, this new way to live as, as, as free sons and daughters. And the one rule that uh, uh, God gave Adam and Eve in the garden has now turned into 613. Call them the Mosaic Law, right? 613 laws that they're supposed to follow. And the problem is nobody can follow them all. Nobody can hold them all to a tease. So they build up this sacrificial system that's put into place for, for when people fall short, which happens often. And then person after person after person messes up and, and, and falls short. And then they go like, hey, Jesus or God, we want a king. Maybe if you give us a human king, then, then that person will be able to solve this. And God's like, I'm supposed to be your king. And they're like, no, we want a human king. And God's like, okay, fine, if that's what you want. So Saul... David, Solomon, all these guys come on the scene. Some do better than others, but all fall short. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, there's some, there's some bright moments, but it's like, it's like two hours in like 1,500 years, right? Most of it is just God's people falling short one after another. And then one day, this guy named Micah comes on the scene about 700 B.C., and he writes, he prophesies, he says, hey, uh, Bethlehem, I know you're a small little village, but get ready, something amazing is coming. And then this guy named Isaiah around the same time, Isaiah chapter 7 goes, hey, a virgin is going to give birth to a child and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's on his way. The Savior's on his way and he's here to save. And then later on in, in chapter 53, he writes, he will be crushed for our iniquities and by his wounds we will be healed. And then, of course, Zechariah 9.9, 9, we read it earlier. Um, 500 B.C., the Israelites are exiles in Babylon. They're exiles. Life looks very, very dim. Zechariah comes on the scene, and he goes, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Take heart. You see your king riding into town on a donkey. Get the palm branches ready. It's time for victory. It's time to restore peace. So that brings us to the story that we started with. John chapter 12, Jesus comes riding Into town, the 613 laws, nobody is able to to fulfill, nobody's able to, to, to live a perfect life except for one person. Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it's one of the most beautiful passages of scripture. Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of. God, leave that up there for a second. So easy to just fly by these verses and not think about what God's saying. God made him who had no sin. Jesus comes to the scene and lives the perfect life, sinless. Although, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, was trialed or faced trials and was tempted in every way, yet he did it without sin. And then God took the one who had no sin to become sin for us by hanging on a cross, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we can talk about how how Jesus saves us from our shame, and that's so true, and amen to that. We can talk about how Jesus saves us from our slavery, and that's so true, amen to that. But at some level, we're just mowing over the weeds in our backyard. Dads, you know what I'm talking about, Rudy. Just kidding. (laughs) We can do it. It's effective for a day, and they grow back. There's a deeper issue here, and the Israelites knew it better than anyone. It's a sin problem. The core of, of who we are, the core of the human experience was compromised. Although we were created good, it was compromised, and, and that sin problem has played itself out throughout the course of history. And so the Savior of the world says, hey, I'm going to do something about that problem. I'm going to do something about that problem, and I'm going to do it by heading to earth humbly in Bethlehem, by the way, right? Living the perfect life and then riding into town and letting everybody know that the Savior is here and that the Savior is really good at saving. During the 5 o'clock, I was going through this talk, and at some deep recess of my mind, I get insecure, you know? And you sit there, and you're like, man, is anybody... Is this any good? And I heard something, it's not an audible voice, just something deep in my spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit said, hey, let the Savior save. Let the Savior do what the Savior does best. Let the Savior take people out of slavery and into freedom. Let the the Savior take people out of shame and into freedom. Let the Savior take people out of sin and into freedom. And that takes us to my college dorm room 10 years ago. Uh, I entered college trying to figure all these things out. I grew up hearing these stories and, Got it at times, didn't get it at times, cared about it at times, didn't care about it at at other times. I have a mind that is very logical and never stops thinking and never stops working through things. So I'm in... Uh, in college, going, I don't know, am I a Christian? Am I agnostic? Am I atheist? Am I Buddhist? I, I, I don't really know. I'm trying to figure it all out. And I just become good friends with, with Ethan, who you guys know. And, and the two of us decided, um, hey, what if we just read the Bible for ourselves? It was the first time I'd ever like, opened it up and actually studied it. We decided to start with the book of Acts, which is the story that happens after. Jesus rides into town goes to the cross resurrects what happens right after and so we start diving into this and I'm sitting in my my dorm room freshman year and I get a text from E hey did you get to chapter 5 yet it's like oh totally just just reading it now you know i hadn't but but i i, I go to to Acts, and I start reading, and I get to chapter 5, and he starts sending me all, all these texts of things that, that he's realizing uh, about the Bible and about Scripture, and, and I have one of those moments where I felt like I went from watching a, a TV in black and white to like somebody turning the color on. Something something clicked for me in Acts chapter 5, because what happens is, is the disciples go on to take this message uh, of Jesus all throughout Jerusalem, and they start proclaiming it every which way, right? Jesus saves, Jesus is beautiful, Jesus is the king. And they start seeing all these amazing things happen, and, and, and yet some people aren't so pumped about what they're saying. They bring them in to question them. They throw them in prison. They, they beat them. They do everything that they can to try to stop them. And, and Peter and John and the boys uh, just, just keep going like, hey, he, he says in Acts chapter 4, he goes, you, do whatever you want. I, I, I don't care. I can't help but talk about this love that I have seen because Peter saw something that was just too beautiful to, to, to stop talking about. Um, we have a girl na- named Summer who who's here somewhere, and uh, she got up to do a, a fire up. A summer, she got up to do a fire up a few hours ago. Um, to get us ready for service, and it's so beautiful because she's invited, like, half of the church to the church. She is, we, we went to the restaurant she works at a few weeks ago, and, and we walk in, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we know Red Rock's, like, summer hands us flyers every day, and she just invites everybody that, that she knows to, to come to church. She gets up on stage, and she goes, everybody always, like, like says that's so cool that I'm inviting people to church, but I, I just, I can't help it. I can't help it because I've seen something that I can't unsee. I've been somewhere that I can't, I, I can't ignore. I've been set free in a new way, in a new level, and I just need to tell everybody because it's really, really good news that the Savior has come to save. Last service, uh, Christy just invited her Uber driver. Love it. Invites her, her Uber driver and, and whatever, Right, Christy's like, I can't help it. I just gotta, I want you to, to hear about this. And then Christy got to go through this like amazing like time of, of, of ministry with, with her Uber driver and it turned into this beautiful thing because saving is what the Savior does best. So, so anyways, I'm getting distracted. Peter and John are back in, in uh, Jerusalem in the first century and, and they're being threatened with death sentences and they're like, I can't stop. And so, in Acts chapter five, they find themselves in front of the Sanhedrin. which is like the end of the line. It's bad news to find yourself there. And the Sanhedrin's like, "Hey, we, we got to kill these guys." Like, okay. And then this man speaks up. A man named Gamaliel. It's a Pharisee, wise guy. Wise old man, it kind of seems like he's the guy that like controls the room. In fact, he was Paul's mentor long before he became the apostle Paul. Back when he was saw Gamaliel is, is this stud. He stands up and he goes, "Hey, uh, I need to say something." Peter, John, go 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 wait outside for a second. And he addresses everybody and, and he says, "Hey, um, do you guys remember?" You guys remember back in the day that guy stood up and proclaimed that he was the Savior of the world and like 400 people followed him? Oh, yeah, yeah, we remember that. Hey, whatever happened to that? Well, he died. And then his followers just went on living their lives. Nothing came of it. Gamaliel's like, yeah, nothing came of it, huh? Well, what about that guy Judas? You remember Judas? Not that Judas, different Judas. Used to be a popular name. Judas came on the scene saying that he was the Messiah, saying that he was the Savior. And all those people started following him. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, we, we remember Judas. Hey, whatever happened to that? Well, Judas died. All of his followers just... Went on living their lives. Yeah, they did, didn't they? And this wide, old, wise old Pharisee, who just understands the world at deep level, says something in Acts five, verse thirty-eight and thirty-nine, that, that that changed the course of my life. He says this. He says, "Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone." Let them go, here's why. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's gonna be just like all the the saviors who have come before us claiming to be the savior. Jesus is dead, it won't take long for this whole thing to run out of steam. He goes, but if this whole thing is from God, we're not gonna be able to stop what's happening here because we're going to find ourselves fighting against God. I'm sitting in my dorm room, mine turning, because I realize that we have the advantage of reading this story 2000 years later and, and time has proven Gamaliel to be one of the wisest people to ever exist because they didn't stop Peter and John that day, Peter and John went out into Jerusalem and then into Judea and then into Samaria and they just kept proclaiming that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is the savior of the world. And then this guy named Paul comes on the scene and he goes and he plants a church in Philippi and Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and then those churches go on to plant other churches and those churches go on to plant other churches and a whole bunch of imperfect people just keep pursuing a perfect God and the Savior does what the Savior does best. He just keeps bringing people back to him and before we know it, we're on the other side of the world, 2,000 years later, singing songs and praising and learning about the same exact stories and celebrating and worshiping this savior because saving is what the savior does best so i told you we would go genesis through revelation let's end it because the beautiful thing about acts five is it shows us that this is a story that's not over we aren't just doing a series called Modern Jesus, as E. said, to, to try to make Jesus relevant to, to our time. Jesus doesn't need that. Writer Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're doing this series because we want you to know, we need you to see that the story's not over, that we're still a part of this story as the kingdom of heaven continues to advance. And one day, one day, as, as Revelation 21 tells us, We'll get to a point where the Savior has completed the saving mission. Right now, we stand in the tension already, but not yet. Inaugurated eschatology for the nerds out there. It's here. It's done. And yet this week is still hard. It's here. It's done. And yet there's still pain. There's still healing. There's still baggage. There's still hurt. And yet, Revelation 21 paints a beautiful picture. It says it this, starting in verse three. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, "Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, dwelling, tabernacling." God's with his people, but now not, not just in a tabernacle, but now fully with his people. And it says, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. Listen to these words. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. Does that sound really good to anyone? I'm getting to that, that point in my life where I, I work out and I'm sore for like four days. You know? Get hurt when I sleep. Just laying still for 10 hours. And I wake up like, oh, what happened? No more death. No mourning. No crying. No pain. The old order of things has passed away. And then it says, and the Savior, He was seated on the throne, said, I am making all things new. All things, Red Rocks Church means all things. If it's not beautiful yet, it will be. Because the Savior is doing what the Savior does best. He's saving. You and I get to play a part in in this mission. You and I get to be a a part of this. this. As a church, we get to be a part of this in this beautiful, amazing city that we live in. How do we do it? Remember how it used to be one rule and then it turned into 613 rules? Jesus turned it back into two for us. Love God. Love God with everything that you have. Fill your life with things that stir your affections for the creator. Number two, love each other. Lay down your life for one another. Serve one another. Celebrate one another. Sounds a whole lot more doable to a simple mind like mine. Two rules. And just let the Savior do what the Savior does best. Let the Savior save. Yeah. In your relationships, let the Savior save. Love well. Pour him to Jesus if the opportunity comes up. And then pray. Let the Savior save. The addictions in your life, get help, talk about it, confess your sins, keep bringing it back to God, be in community where you're fighting the good fight together, and then let the Savior save. This is... the the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of of the fact that we get to gather together and sing Hosanna, save us. Jesus goes, I've been waiting for you to ask. I'm really good at it. And so as we sing the song Hosanna together, I think there are a few different uh, people in this room, and so let me address a a few. Some of you may be here and... uh, as you're hearing this message, it may be the first time that you have ever heard that God loves you, that your creator is not mad at you, that your creator paid a great price for you, and that you are not better at sinning than he is at saving. And and I think that that if that's you, I I wanna give you an invitation in, in just a moment to come home. To come home and realize that, that Jesus has been there with a smile on his face the whole time saying, hey, we're gonna throw a party for you. Forget about the past. Forget about what, what lies behind. Let's press forward. It's a new day. I'll get there in a sec. I think there's other people in the room who uh, maybe have been following Jesus for a while. Maybe even have been following Jesus all your life. And yet life's throwing some curveballs at you in this already but not yet place that we live. You've been faced with some challenges, some things that maybe have taken you out. Call from the doctor, family member, uh, business partner. Life is hard sometimes. And and I, I think what you need to hear tonight is save me, save us. It's not just for the prodigal, it's for all of us. It's it's inviting Jesus right into the middle of the mess because we don't have a a savior that promises everything's going to be fine. All the time, we have something better. We have Yeshua, we have God who goes, hey, I'm gonna come right into the middle of it and I'm gonna walk with you through it. Save us tonight as we sing for you, maybe as a prayer. A declaration: God, come into this situation that I am facing. Would you come and do what you do best? And then I, I think there's a, a final group. Um, Doug said last week, and it's been striking a chord with us, it's okay to just be okay. It's okay to be okay. And we want to get better as a church at celebrating that. Like, We have the best news in the world. The Savior is here and he has come to save. And I know we talk about really hard things all the time here and we do that on purpose because we wanna walk through the valley of the shadow of death with anybody that needs it. But we also wanna stand up on the mountaintop and say, hey, the Savior's here to save and that's really good news. And so I can just take a deep breath and be okay this week. And so if if as I'm laying out the story of God, you're going, yeah, amen, I'm on board. Praise God. Let's go take this message to, to the world. And can I, I just say, hey, well done on a good week. Well done on a good week. Let's turn around and do it again. And let's spend this time this evening praising God because he came to save. And then linking arms with our brothers and sisters who aren't in that place and praying for them and helping them get there too. It's okay to be oh. Okay, we can sing this song in victory because our God is alive. See, the difference between every other person that claimed to be the Savior and Jesus is that they're all still dead. Three days later, his buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion proclaimed, death has no grip on me. Jesus is alive. And he's ready to save. So would you all bow your heads and close your eyes?